years on your trail Six long years on your trail Call me morbid, call me pale I've spent six years on your trail Six full years of my life on your trail And if you have five seconds to spare Then I'll tell you the story of my life Sixteen clumsy and shy I went to London and died I booked myself in at the Y WCA I said I like it here, can I stay? I like it here, can I stay? Do you have a vacancy for a back scrubber? was left behind and sad And she wrote to me equally down She said in the days when you were hopeless before I just liked you more And if you have five seconds to spare Then I'll tell you the story of my life Sixteen clumsy and shy I went to London and died I put myself in at the Y WCA I said I like it here, can I stay? I like it here, can I stay? And do you have a vacancy for a back scrubber? Call me morbid, call me pale Spent too long on your trail Far too long Chasing your tail And if you have five seconds to spare Then I'll tell you the story of my life Sixteen clumsy and shy That's the story of my The story of my life That's the story of my life That's the story of my life That's the story of my life The story of my That was the Smiths with a track called Half a Person from the album The World Won't Listen. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Hello once again and thank you for tuning in for another exciting episode of Indie Pop from the golden decade that was the 80s and much, much more. As always, we like to bring you a very special guest. This week, it is the very talented Lawrence. 
who is in the band Go-Kart Mozart, but also probably better known for his time in felt and also denim. So I'll be bringing you that interview throughout the show in about four to five easy-to-digest little segments alongside the usual award-worthy playlist because we're going to be tracking time, space and genre as always. But I thought we'd start the party with your favourite and my favourite. This is from Felt. This is a track called Sunlight Bathed the Golden Glow. Lawrence, take it away. Yeah. 
And that was a magazine with a track called Because You're Finished from the album Correct Use of Soap. And before that, we had Felt. And that was the track called Sunlight Babe, The Golden Glow. And that was from their 1987 album, Goldmine Trash. Hello, this is Dave Leestor on the C86 show. Always bringing you the finest in indie pop from the golden decade that was the 80s and much, much more. This week's special guest is Lawrence who was obviously felt and also went on to form Denim in the 90s and is still going strong, as we will find out a bit later on in the show, because he's got a new um, band that's um, obviously going to be him called Go-Kart Mozart. And they've just got a new album out that's called Mozart's Mini Mart. I know it's very exciting. I hope you're paying attention because I'm basically hyperventilating with excitement because it was a particularly good interview and he's a particularly interesting chap so I'm going to be bringing that interview a little bit later on but to keep the party rolling I thought we should play a track from their new album Go-Kart Mozart is the band and this is uh, well this is Lawrence in his all his finest just listen to the lyrics of this this is a track called When You're Depressed I know we love songs like that Waste. 
certainly does get the party rolling. Yes, the track called When You're Depressed, and that is from the um, album Mozart's Mini Mart, and that is Go Kart Mozart, and that, I know, is a word, or certainly a mouthful, and that's Lawrence, who was in Felt and also Denim. So, um, like I said, he's our special guest, and there's been a lot of excitement um, in the last couple of weeks, months, about Lawrence, because Felt have just had a five-CD box set released on the Cherry Red record labels called A Decade in Music. That's just come out. And obviously, apart from looking back, they were, he's also looking forward because he's just got a new band, new sound, and a new album. But anyway, look, I've got quite a bit of this interview to get through. So I thought we'd play the first part of the interview. This is the bit of the um, interesting chat when we first met and had a little bit of a chin wag. This is where I ask him about the beginnings of the band. So Lawrence... Take it away. Yes, I mean, we. I don't call my... I don't see myself as part of the C86 generation. We were before that. And I don't term self to the... You know, I don't use that word, I-N-D-I-E. I can't even say it. <laughs> I don't like it at all. You know, we were in an, in the independent music scene um, before the... The term was shortened, you know. Yes, I know. Because I suppose at the time when you started, obviously it was quite mm. interesting because there was a lot of other bands. There was the sort of the punk scene, which obviously was all a bit. Yeah, there was what what has happened was the what people now call post punk was was around, and I started in the in what I at the time we called that the DIY scene, you know, where people had literally just started making records in their bedrooms. Um, so there was like a precedent of that kind of ilk, which was Thomas Leah made a record called Private Plane, and then there was a guy called Robert Rental, and then there was a lot of press and a lot of talk about Throbbing Gristle having their own studio and... Cabaret Voltaire had their own studio in Sheffield. So there's a lot of DIY going on, you know, doing it yourself, which had sprung from Viral Scratch EP in 77. So there was, and I made my own record. I was, I was kind of interested in that scene. I thought, well, I could actually make my own record now. You know, I don't need to wait around. I can actually do it right now. So that was where I came from. Yes. And obviously, what were your... <clears throat> I know it's a bit of a corny question, but, but what, what, what have you been listening to at that kind of time? Because obviously, you know, mm. I, I grew up with the world of, I suppose, my older brother, who was playing lots of prog rock stuff from Yes and Genesis and Wishbone Ash. And then there was the punk scene mm. that I started getting into. And then, like you said, there was much more of a DIY, which it fell between mm. 
the p punk and indie, which was much more jangly? Well, I mean, there wasn't, there was no jangle <laughs> in the music when I started. You know, that term hadn't hadn't really. It was just beginning. The the you know orange juice had just started really. Just you know, they were, um, the first postcard record was kind of just coming out when felt started as a band. Um, so it was the very beginning of that kind of scene. So there wasn't any, nobody thought of it as a, as a they just thought of it as um, Postcard Records was just starting. But the, but the term, you know, the sort of genre of bands with guitars jangling hadn't really started. That was a few years away. But there was definitely something happening with this orange juice um, kind of um, postcard scene that, that that came in in about in the early part of 1980, and uh, and I responded to that in a big way. You know, I, I did love that that those singles that postcard put out, and I felt kind of part of that. Yes, yeah. really. You know, I, I and we tried to get on postcard. I sent um, a demo to. Alan Horn, a postcard to try and because I thought, oh, this is the label for Felt. This this is a perfect label for us. Um, but they didn't want to. They said he he wrote me a letter back and he said you're too you're too much like the Velvet Underground for us, huh. <laughs> which which I found very odd because they were in all of the Velvet Underground. Yeah, that is a weird one. So but anyway, it seems perfect. It seems perfect for us, but. So we did try and get on postcard and the beginnings of what you now, <clears throat> people now call, you know, the sort of jangling guitar sound. Yes. I mean, do you, I mean, postcard was the beginning of that, wasn't it really, do you think? Yeah, it definitely was. I think they were the kind of mm. the blueprint. And like you mentioned, mm. Alan, Alan Horn was definitely sort of, he, he kind of epitomised that kind of way of running running a business, but in, in a way which obviously had no long-term strategy as well. Because I remember watching a documentary, it was probably about Liverpool, and they were talking to a member of Big in Japan called, mm. a member called, I think Jane Casey was her name. And, oh, yeah, Jane Casey, yeah. And so they would, and she was referring to all the people that that scene particularly um, had that came came together and she said we were just kind of like these individuals you know who were wearing our sort of neuroses on stage mm. you know bringing all these kind of mm. odd characters and i think that post-punk period did allow mm. a lot of the oddness that normally got shut away in people's bedrooms to be to be sort of let out on stage Yes, I agree. I agree with that totally. Phew, that was a relief. Anyway, that's the first part of my interview with Lawrence to talk about the early years. Don't worry, we've got lots more of that interview still to go. Anyway, this is David Easter on the C86 Show. If you'd like to contact me, we do love your messages. You can on Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86Show and I will be there. But anyway, I think we should have another track by Felt. This is a track called Primitive Painters that came from their album Ignite the Seven Cannons. And this was produced by Robin Guthrie. And obviously he was one third of the Copto Twins. And this does also feature Liz Guthrie on vocals as well. And uh, we particularly love the Copto Twins. So it's always a good time to play a track which channels the spirit of dear old Liz. Anyway, this is felt in all their finest. <laughs> Thank you. 
That is such an amazing song. There you go. That's felt in the track called Primitive Painters from the album Ignite the Seven Cannons, produced by Robin Guthrie and featuring on vocals Liz Fraser. I think I said at the beginning, Liz Guthrie, I will take that back and re-edit it. No, I won't. But um, I hope you um, didn't notice. And if you did, didn't touch too much. Anyway, this is David Eastall on the C86 show, Future Radio 107.8 FM. I will tell you once again how you will or could, we'll get in touch with me towards the end of the show. Let's not uh, overdo it. Anyway, this is the second part of my interview with Lawrence, who I caught up with recently, to ask him what he would say to his 18-year-old self. It's very interesting. Take notes, everyone. I will test you at the end. If you're presented with a contract, get it seen by a lawyer. Don't, don't sign anything for, for ages. You know, don't, don't simply um, jump into it contract because you've been offered it whether it's management record company or publishing or anything just yeah you know don't think oh this might be the only one and we better sign it think about it i would say that's that's the main thing for a young musician watch out for you know tying yourself to a company or a manager or a management company or an agency or publishers, try and steer, you know, steer clear of that for 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 a long time if you can. Mm-hmm. That would be my big advice because that's when all that's when a lot of the problems start. You know, when inexperienced people sign contracts and you know you don't even know whether you're going to be with that that person the following year, mm-hmm. and then you're all tied to some contract and. And or you know, there's a nefarious manager out there who you've split up with straight away, but he's got you signed for the next ten years. And sort out that kind of stuff, and sort out um, are the people you're in a band with going to be in that band in another year? Are they really going to be with you all the way, or are they going to leave after a certain time? And if so, should we all be signing? things that tie us together for 10 years or for 20 years or 25 years. Mm. You know, you have to think about things like that. Yes, I know, the tricky one. Because obviously it's been an interesting time because you've got a new album out, which is Mozart's mm. Mini Mart. While Cherry Red have put together this fantastic box set of, you know, your mm. early albums as well. So, you know, you, you're obviously going forward and at the same time sort of reflecting back on the past. Has that been quite an interesting journey? Yeah, it's been such a great thing to do because, like you say, we are reflecting back and getting the back catalogue in in order, ready for the rest of its life so that it can sit properly on the shelves now and forever. And also at the same time, which people do not do, release a brand new album of brand new material on the same day. Yes. So, it, yeah, it's fantastic. You can say, wow, this artist is really moving forward, you know. He's not just reflecting on his past, which I love. I love Felt dearly, you know. It's, a, it's um, you know, wonderful group that one of the best cult bands in in England, really, that England's ever produced, I think. And But also, I've got a brand new project, and that's come out on the same day. So it shows that I'm moving forward um, I'm not simply 
you know, going out on the road playing felt songs, which I would never do. Yes. You know, I mean, I was seeing this, what was that in two? I was reading, I've been reading the reviews of our, of the album, you know, the felt albums and the go-kart motor albums. So I've been reading a lot of these magazines and it, they're just full of bands reforming and going back out on the road and they're doing no new material at all. Have you noticed? And uh, if they do do new material, it, it doesn't seem, there's only a few of them doing a new album and it doesn't seem to be, I don't know, it doesn't seem to be taken seriously. I think, you with, know, as a, as a new, as a prospect of moving forward, it seems to be, even the album, is, you know, I mean, there's not many doing brand new albums, but there's a few I've noticed, but most of them are just out on the road, re- reliving their 80s youth, aren't they? Indeed they are, but um, it's a tricky old world. Anyway, that was the second part of my interview with Lawrence, who, um, like he said, is just brought out on Cherry Red Records the um, the first five albums by Felt, A Decade in Music, and that's come out as a box set, and some of that is available for the first time. And also he's part of a new project that he's put together called Go Kart Mozart, and uh, that's a new album called Mozart's Mini Mart, which I do like to say repeatedly, and that's why people move away from me at parties. Oh, I don't even get invited. Anyway, this is David Eastall on the C86 show. I think we should play another song by Felt. This is one that uh, we particularly like here and uh, we just love to do a little bit of a dance the mess around this is felt and the track called penelope tree this is from goldmine trash i didn't want the world to know had sunlight fade the golden glow
that one that is felt in the track called penelope tree from the album goldmine trash this is david east on the c86 show and this is a bit of a lawrence special because i caught up with him last week this is the third part of my interview that i had with him where we talk about keeping a band together because we felt he had a project of releasing 10 albums in 10 years which let's face it would keep you very busy and that was what he took um, which he took most of the 80s up with and uh, we were talking about marky smith and going through band members and also douglas from the bmx bandits who also got through a lot of band members as well so how do you do that lawrence tell us the secret Right. Well, we I had a similar thing where musicians would, when when we joined Creation, that's when there was a kind of revolving door of people coming and going. I think as long as you can remain, um, like uh, keep remain positive and keep your goal in mind, then you can get over these seemingly insurmountable problems that all bands go, all bands have really, but like you say, a lot of them just close the door and go home and get a job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. But I think the other thing is that they've had real problems with the record label and what, what contract they signed and then they realise after five, seven years they still haven't got any money and they're still living either in appalling conditions, sort of scraping money together or still living with their parents and I think... By then, they've also kind of got, got got to the point of hating each other. So I think it's easy to call it a day, really. But but what well, happened? I think, I think you've just described every independent band. To be honest, I mean that is that is exactly what happened, and we were no different. I mean, you know, I persevered because just because of sheer determination. I had exactly the problems that you've just spelt out that that failed most people. You know. That kind of um, was 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 the end of most people, but I kind of just I don't know I just I just carried on climbing that little mountain, you know I carried on persevered, but I had exactly the same problems, you know, with contracts and no money, never earning any money from gigs, all stuff like that. It was all the same. We're all in the same boat. <laughs> <laughs> all in the same gutter, to quote uh, Oscar Wilde, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We were in, in the gutter, looking up, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so did you, was there a moment when you thought, today, da, 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 that's the end of felt? You know, was there, was, did, did you have that planned and did you sort of manage to acknowledge it and buy yourself a cake to um, celebrate or, <laughs> or commemorate the moment? Well, I, 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 in 1989, I... I was very fortunate because I thought, oh my God, we can actually do this if we get the out al- get the la- get an album out this year. We've done, you know, we can go through with this ten albums in ten years. It, it actually works out. So we had a big scramble in 1989 to get the album released because we recorded it, rehearsed, recorded, we everything was fine. Recorded it in the summer, but but um. Creation had run out of money by the autumn. 
and they couldn't release it until January. So we um, we did have a big panic that this 10-year plan wasn't actually going to um, work out. <laughs> so we went back to my first label, Trey Red, and they were quite happy to um, release it for us in October. So um, it actually worked out. But there were some years where I thought, maybe this won't work, you know, because there were some periods where we didn't, we didn't, um, you know, where, where the albums, it wasn't one a year. Sometimes we had to do two a year. You know, it wasn't like consecutive, 81, 82. Between the first and second album, there was like two and a half years, for example. Yeah. So right at the beginning, there was like a problem with this 10-year plan. But we managed to do it. And I, I think it's, we're the only band that's ever done something like that. Treat, treating like a, a pop group or a rock band as, a, as an art project. I am very impressed the amount of um, work that Lawrence has put out has felt Denim and also his latest go-kart Mozart uh, creation. But then I was um, I did an interview with Momus recently, well, this afternoon, and um, it turns out that he's done an album a year since he started in 1985-86, every year. I thought, wow, that's a lot of albums. Who's bought every one? I have to say, if anybody has, I'm really impressed. Anyway, this is David Esau, this is the C86 show, and I'm going to play a little bit more music. This is Denim and the track called Middle of the Road. In the middle of the road 
And that was uh, Lawrence again with his second um, creation. That was Denim, and that was a track called Middle of the Road. This is David East on the C86 show, and um, realise that the time is ticking on, so we need to get into the third, or no, fourth part of the interview that I did with him very recently. This is where we talk about the 80s indie scene and the jingly jangly shambolic sounds of people like Big Flame, Bogshed, etc, etc, Stump, which he absolutely hated. He just hated the word indie and what it all stood for. So, Lawrence, let's uh, let's talk about that indie scene and uh, get some disdain from you on that one as well. Yeah, I mean, for me, that's, that's actual kind of band it is what you know, I rallied against a lot because I, I don't like amateurism, really. I think um, if you can't play your instrument properly, then don't 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 join a band or surround yourself with people who can play so that you can learn from them, which is exactly what I did and felt. I was one of those people who wasn't a perfect musician, but I surrounded myself with... Um, you know, well, I, I got somebody in the band who was like a genius on the guitar, so that we, I wouldn't be a kind of, you know, shambling amateur kind of person. Yes, I didn't like that. I didn't like that kind of that that kind of um, band. You know, that was that was formulating in that period. I, I I didn't like that at all. Like those bands you've just mentioned. You know, I didn't. I, I I'm into musicians and um, people who can play. You know, like a band like Television, for example, where apparently Tom Verlaine used to practice twelve hours a day. Yeah. You know, those are the. That's the kind of band that I wanted to be in. Uh, yeah, because I remember Steve mm-hmm. Jones from the Sex Pistols said he used to take kind of a certain amount of um, chemicals and then sort of play his guitar for sort of the day, basically. So um, it sort of yeah. improved his kind of guitar playing quite considerably. You've got to put the hours in, as Malcolm Gladwell once said. Well, exactly. Was... And, and I think a lot of people misrepresented punk because they thought, oh, oh, punk is this new thing where you don't have to be able to play. But like you say, Steve Jones and, well, or, you know, Glenn Matlock, was an amazing bass player. Paul Cook was an amazing drummer. You know, they were great musicians. And I think some people picked up on this, an, an amateur aspect of punk that wasn't really there. You know, there was a, a few sort of rough edges, but, but most of the bands could, could play really well. Mm. And, and I think this, a new scene evolved after punk where it was okay to, to not play your instruments well and it didn't matter and that that's the kind of scene I didn't want to be involved in yeah so just going through the 80s which some of us were having a problem with because you know politically it was tricky and socially and culturally and and you had things like um yes high unemployment and and sort of a feeling of grimness but your output during the 80s was quite phenomenal wasn't it I mean you didn't you didn't rest really did you <laughs> I, I didn't take any notice of what was going on in the real world. I, I sort of put myself in a a kind of um, I kind of locked myself away and um, got on with the job at hand. And I took absolutely no notes on what was going on. You know, I didn't let it affect me. It didn't affect the band, and it kind of 
happened in an in an another world really world that I wasn't involved in yes you know reality didn't come into it you know like um I just I I kind of um yeah I shut myself away from it really yeah because most so people... that I was because yeah because otherwise you you wouldn't be able to work you know I I wanted to release lots of records in a short amount of time and so I I kind of just invented my own world really well, absolutely. I mean, you, you probably you probably had to eat, sleep, and drink. You know, being in the band, really, with with that um, that amount of output. Because most people I speak to do that. You know, the single they get played on John Peel's, they do a session, they do the album tour, and then um, the second album comes up. And if they ever tour America, they all sort of completely come back, kind of like mm. with total hatred towards each other and disillusionment. <laughs> so, so you managed to sort of sail through those kind of periods rather better than 99.9% of the bands I've interviewed. Yeah, I, I'm like, I was very, very determined to see this project through. And um, in the beginning, we had a like this great guitar player that we had, but he would leave constantly. And um, I didn't let it affect me. I would just, I would simply pick my moments and then getting back and then he'd leave again and then we'd wait a bit getting back and so I, I didn't sort of give up and think oh god it's all over he's left I would just carry on and maybe make a record on my own a single maybe wait for him to return then we'd do another album and then after the first period it became like a revolving door of musicians and I, I just got on with it. You know, I let them come, let them go. And I was the the main person, really. So as long as I was OK, the band could flourish. That's the fourth part of my interview with Lawrence. And um, I have to be quick because actually I've just got one little part left. But I'll play a track. This is from one of the albums that's been reissued by Cherry Red Records. This is called... Red Indians, and this is from the album The Splendor of Fear. Take it away, Lawrence, you haven't got much time left.
a truly exquisite song. That is Felt, and that's an early album, uh, The Splendor of Fear, and that was um, the track called Red Indian. This is David Eastall, this C86 show, and this is the fifth and final part of my interview with Lawrence, where we talk about the songwriting process and also getting old, which, uh, let's face it, we always like to talk about that subject as you get older. I think you can keep the edge, though. You can retain the edge. You know, you can come out of, you know, like an easy pop situation where, you know, you're living on the edge and you can come away from that edge, but you can still be write relevant music. It, it, it's up to you, you know. It, it seems to be something that happens to um, people writing songs, bands writing songs or individuals writing songs where... They they lose the news. They they just it, it disappears. It dissipates and it's gone. And they spend the rest of their career trying to find it. And you can see them almost grasping for for something in the air, but it's not there anymore. And I don't know. I don't know why. Um, I just I think um, you you have to just think about credibility. Think about is this good enough to release. You know, and I think people, I, I think, like, um, you know, it's a craft. Songwriting to me is a craft. And if you're, say you're, um, work, you know, you're a woodworker, you know, you build cabinets or something, you know, you don't, you don't, it, you know, you, you try and build the best cabinet you can when you're 70 to even, you know, like, oh, those cabinets I built when I was 20 were so incredible, I'll never build one again. You shouldn't think like that. You should think, you know, I've been doing cabinets now for 40 years, but I'm still going to make this one the best cabinet I possibly can. I think it's a craft. Songwriting is a craft. Yes. It, it, you know, there's too much emphasis put on, um, you know, it's something in the air and I grab it from the air and I don't know where it comes from. There's too much of that going on. It is, a, it is a craft, you know, where you can sit down, focus, and, you know, like a writer would sit at his desk and, and write a book. Yeah, this is true. You know, songwriting is a craft. It's, it's, and if you're going to carry on doing it, really, you should get better at it because that's what usually happens. You actually get better at the job. If you're a bricklayer, you kind of get... You become a better bricklayer as years go on, don't you? Yes, it's true. You can't help it because of the experience of building walls all day. You just naturally get better at building walls. <laughs> <laughs> but with songs, songwriters, it doesn't seem to happen that way. And I, I don't know why, but it, but there's no reason why it shouldn't. This is it true. Might be, it might be down to laziness, um, you know, things like that, where they're not, committing themselves 100% to their craft but I but I do that I commit myself 100% to the craft and that was my final part of the interview with Lawrence a big thank you for giving me the time of that that was a fantastic interview and uh, thank you ever so much for listening this has been David Easter on the C86 show if you want to contact me you can via Facebook Twitter just go to at C86 show and like I said the, he has a new album out which is uh, his new band which is Go Kart Mozart the album is called Go Mozart's Mini Mart do check it out and also Felt have got their first five albums repackaged and it's called A Decade in Music thank you ever so much for listening have a fantastic week and tune in next week for another special guest <laughs>